Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilfo, joined today by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I'm good. Today, for breakfast, we went out and I had a delicious hash, uh, and I am still processing how delightful it was. So that was a good start to my Sunday. Can, can, can you just talk me real quick uh, through what all was in there? Yeah, I, it was andouille sausage, red peppers, chicken, uh, I believe it was a poached egg, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, because also I don't know what a poached egg is, but that sounds like if it's correct. Um, onions and potatoes, and I had a side of a delightful pancake um, with coffee, and that was it. It was lovely. I had a great how, time. How are you awake right now? That's that's like no. 75,000 calories of beautiful breakfast food. Like, like, I went to Waffle House yesterday and came back and was like, ooh, brother, I need to sleep for a few minutes. Well, I only had it like 45 minutes ago, so like I'm in like that perfect zone right now where like I still have it, but like by the time we're done with this podcast, I am going to probably uh, watch the end of the Bears game, and that should put me to sleep. Well, listen, man, uh, J- Justin Fields is cooking. Maybe. I don't know. I don't actually have a game on. Uh, yeah, speaking of Justin Fields, uh, Penn State played his old college team last night. Uh, Penn State went in to the big house uh, in Columbus, Ohio to take on the Illinois Buckeyes. Uh, they came out on top 33, 24 Penn state fell to five and three on the season, two and three in conference play. Uh, we'll, we're going to dive into the game a little bit on both sides of the ball, Matt, but like, I don't know if this is just because I was expected. Like, I think I predicted something like 49 to 10 on a podcast. I really did think Ohio state was going to put the screws to Penn state and, you know, I'll have to go back and think through and watch through and try and figure out why I thought that. I have a hunch, and I will mention it on this podcast. Um, but I feel pretty good, I would say, all things considered. Yeah, I'm not really big into moral victories, but like this is what this Penn State team should look like going into Columbus. Like I know there's a lot of people selling on this team right now, and you know I get it. The best they can do is nine and three, and and for a lot of people in college football, that's not worthy of paying attention. I'm not one of those people. I, don't, I really don't view it through that lens, but I understand why people thought this would be a blow. I thought it would be close. These games are always close. Like I can't, unless the 2020 game ended up being a double digit win for the Buckeyes on some like late scores, but these games are always usually, you know, one score games, 10 point games. These teams play each other really tight. This is a game that both teams play up for. Or play down for, depending on your definition. Um, I thought the game plan was good. I thought the coaching staff did a good job. Like, we'll talk on this later, but I, I want to hit it from the start to make sure I remember to talk about it. Penn State held this Ohio State offense to four field goals. You have yeah. to win that game if you hold this offense to four field goals. Like, you kept them out of the end zone, but you just couldn't get it done for a variety of stupid mistakes that, frankly, were self-imposed more than the Buckeyes forced you to make. So... Again, I'm not big into moral victories, but considering, you know, the way this season looks like it's going, I loved the fight that I saw. Uh, I loved the evolution of the play calling. I thought the running backs did a really good job. I thought the run game looked pretty good. Uh, I thought the offensive line as a whole, you know, they had some some bad mistakes. But overall, that's probably the best front they're going to face all year. And they held up pretty well. So, you know, I, it's probably about as good as you can feel after a, a two score loss on the road to uh, to a top five team. Yeah, and it. I don't want to just say to a top five team, it's to the team that like you measure your program against. You know what I mean? Uh, It's, it's the tricky thing with a game like this, because I, I think you and I probably agree 
not not you and I probably like I know you agree with me on this. Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt against Iowa, and this is the number two Penn State Nittany Lions going to play the number five or six Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus. And like, if that was the case, and we're talking about Penn State losing this game by nine points, we're probably a little upset. But I think when you add the context of all of this, the fact that no P, there was no PJ Mustafer, uh, you know, Bill Connolly, uh, tweeted out a stat that I'll go find that basically said that like kind of what you mentioned Penn State's red zone defense was damn near immaculate unreal uh, yeah is in the red zone Brent I Dry mean, is gonna either be a head coach or be one of the highest paid defensive coordinators in the country next year he has to be yeah I mean I, I was gonna save this for a few minutes down the road when we talk about the defense but Ohio State's four field goal drives they got down to Penn State's 13 uh Penn State's one Penn State's seven and Penn State's nine. Like th- that doesn't happen to Ohio State. And they did a fantastic job. Like, I think if you just like pop the hood on this and you say, well, uh, Penn State got outgained by, you know, something like 70 yards, uh, couldn't run the football, lost the turnover battle, uh, those sorts of things. I think, it, you you know, you'd sound a little bit more upset, but like, that was about as good as that game could have gone for Penn State. I think all things considered, it's a mindset that I don't necessarily love because I'm like you because I don't, you know, I don't love taking moral victories. Uh, but I do like taking learning moments, <laughs> I suppose. And I think there's we learned a decent amount about this Penn State team from that. And I think it's this is a good time to dive right into the game, um, and we'll start with Penn State's defense. I mean. Like I mentioned, Matt, if I came out here and said Penn State's going to turn over Ohio State once, it's going to be on the very first drive of the play, drive of the game, and they're going to allow 466 yards of total offense. I think you, like me, would probably have gone, oh boy, this is going to end up being a bloodbath. Yeah, I'm bummed. My my train got delayed, so I didn't get to see the first uh, two drives. Um, So I missed the first turnover that... Um, Penn State force, and then I missed the ensuing. From what I understand, it was a Noah Kane uh, fumble right off yeah. the bat. Yeah. So, so what happened was uh, third down and something. C.J. Stroud throws Jeremy Ruckert, and Ruckert, re- like kudos to him. The dude put his head down. He really fought, and then Jair Brown just made a sensational play to rip the ball out of his hands. And Penn State falls on it. Penn State gets the ball uh, on Ohio State's forty-six, and uh, I think no and. First play, they hand it to Noah Kane. He fumbles, gives it right back to Ohio State. So Ohio State basically got, like, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's like a first down on that uh, after all of that because they ended, you know, I think right where they actually had to go to get the first down on that play. They When they got okay. the ball back, it was where they would have got had to go for the line to gain on that previous uh, sequence of downs. Okay, so, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, but still a a huge missed opportunity in a game where we all knew those are going to be few and far between. Um, But overall, I thought the defense played in the exact, I don't know how I'm going to word this, because this is hard to say, because I thought the defense played so poorly against Illinois. And a lot of that is, I think they were coming off a by week off of a really hard loss that they shouldn't have lost. And I think it was a look ahead spot ahead of Ohio state. And they came out looking like they were mad. Cause I think they know that that Illinois loss probably falls on 
the defense's shoulders. So they came out, and I really liked what I saw out of, especially Devon Ellis. Like, I don't know what P.J. Mustafer's future is going to hold. He has the free year, but these reps Devon Ellis is getting right now are going to set him up to be a superstar along the inside for Penn State next season. And if you pair him with Mustafer, oh, man, that is going to be a fun, fun, fun one-two punch. Yeah, I thought Evan- I- I, I, and I just want to add, I think actually Koziah Izzard was the guy who got the start in the game, but I'll double check that. Okay. All right. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me because I know they like Izzard because of what he gives them um, flexibility wise. Uh, but still, like th- those three dudes, I think, oh, Mustafa's hurt, but that's looking forward. But in this specific game, I thought those two guys, Izzard and Ellie's, really stepped up after looking a little lackluster last week. And, and, Look, I get it. Like, if it's your first real extended action, there's going to be nerves. There's a lot to figure out. To, to see them settle in is a really good job by them and also John Scott Jr. Um, I really thought Curtis Jacobs played the best game of his career, man. He looked fantastic from start to finish. I really like what he's going to develop into and what he's already become. Uh, as a whole, I think I have to give this performance an A-. minus. Like, obviously, they're, they're, they left some plays out there. But still... The fact that you were able to hold this potent Ohio State offense two, three field goals in the red zone shows how on your game you were. So it's a bummer. It feels like another wasted performance uh, from this unit, but that's just the way things have bounced these past three weeks. It it, it really is a bummer because it feels like the peak happened so much earlier than we could have ever hoped for. So I just hope they can keep it up. This is probably going to, that was probably the most potent offense they're going to face. Uh, I think they can really put the clamps on here and hopefully finish out the year strong. Um, I don't think this is the kind of game or kind of performance that's going to like really send the season into a tailspin. Like nine and three coming off a four and five season is still pretty darn good. And I bet a lot of people are around the fan base would have taken nine and three when the season began. So kudos to the defense. Really, really strong performance. Uh, I liked a lot of also what I saw out of Joey Porter Jr. I really hope he stays next year. I think he can be a really, really humongous asset to this team. Uh, but as a whole, again, just another really great performance by Brent Fry and Co. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the game we saw out of Jacobs. Seven tackles, uh, five of them solo, two tackles for loss. And it felt like it felt like more. It felt like he was always around the line of scrimmage. They brought him off the edge so often and he was always right there five solo tackles doesn't surprise me for like um you know an outside linebacker to not have a ton of assisted tackles really shows how well he was reading that offense and that's that's a really good job by him I think he's going to be really develop into a leader on this defense in, in the coming years yeah I'm I'm, uh, I'm certainly inclined to agree and to me the the thing that was most surprising about this game to whatever extent that like well, I mean, I don't even want to say to whatever extent, just like straight up that shocked me was Ohio State is maybe the best deep offense in America at just saying our dudes are going to create big play after big play. And that happened a few times. There were a couple of moments where the dam broke, which uh, uh, sort of thing's going to happen. Chris Olave uh, on you know, oh, I see a one passing t- one passing touchdown for Ohio State's offense. That is insane. I, like I, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit. I thought they did a really good job putting 
a little more doubt into CJ Stroud's brain than oh he's no had doubt this year. oh yeah. my god no doubt in my mind like twenty two for thirty four three hundred and five yards nine yards per attempt one touchdown one no picks eight point eighty nine point four QBR I thought he just looked a little more uncomfortable than usual and. You go through the depth chart, Jackson Smith and Jigba had that 158-yard gain uh, through the air where I think, uh, I don't remember who it was. It might have been uh, Jair Brown. It was someone in the secondary. Uh, Whether it was Jair Brown or a cornerback, I don't remember off the top of my head. Someone just missed a tackle. He was able to get going and they caught up to him. But there was that for 58 yards. Travion Henderson, 28 carries, 152 yards, one gain of 68 yards. So you take that one, which I hate doing this because like it's kind of lame, but you take that one out. He had 27 carries for 84 yards, 3.1 yards per carry in the first half, nine carries for six yards. Like that's, I, God, that's a miracle <laughs> against this Ohio State. Uh, offense because they've just been that good at making stuff happen with their big play big play players this season Garrett Wilson seven catches for 82 yards his longest was 19 they did a good job basically saying we know you're going to give Garrett Wilson the football we're not going to go out of our way and uh, you you know we're not going to basically say all right Garrett you can have the you're going to be able to have space those big plays we're going to keep you in front of us and you're going to bottle you up Olave outside of that one touchdown. And then there was a one where CJ Stroud just layup throw totally missed it, but that would have been another touchdown three for 44 yards and a score. Uh, 38 of those yards came on one on his one touchdown catch. Like that's a really good performance by Penn state's defense. Um, I, I, I'm good. I have my theory on this, but I want to hear yours, Matt. What do you think was the difference this week and last week? It, you know, Penn State, Penn State's defense allowed 26 points compared to 10 last week. What do you think was the difference in just like they just look more confident, more solid, uh, more well-disciplined, more well-organized, that sort of thing? I think a lot of it is comfort. Like these, this is still a young front. Like they, these, especially along the interior, they are very young. So the best experience is live experience. So, you know, them going out there and, and getting those reps against Illinois – I think meant a lot. Um, again, it feels like I'm just speaking in moral victories right now, which I, I really hate doing. But I, I, just being honest, it just feels like they looked like they understood what they were supposed to be doing. And also, like, let's be honest, it was probably them playing up. Like, it's very easy to get hyped up for a game on the road against your biggest rival uh, versus at home in a nooner against Illinois. It just looked like this front especially – was ready to play and felt confident and comfortable for the first time since Mustafer went out. And, you know, Mustafer is a humongous part of this team. He's, a, he's probably the most important piece of that defense from a leadership perspective. So I'm not surprised it took a little bit of time for them to refine their footing. So I'm curious to see what it looks like moving forward. I think with the game they played, there's a lot to like, and I hope that leads to some more trust in this unit i hope it leads to some more big plays up front and honestly i think that the yips that they experienced from missing Mustafer are behind them and if they can keep playing at a high level i wouldn't be surprised if they had a really really strong month of november to close out the season on a high note yeah i i really just think it comes down to 
Illinois last week was going, you know, putting seven or eight dudes down on the line of scrimmage and Penn State was going up against them with four dudes and it led to them getting pushed around. Like, I really do think that's it. Like, it's why if we talk about this a little bit later, I'm not like, I think they can beat Michigan state in Michigan, but I'm uncertain they will, because I think that you can just push Penn state's front around. If you decide you want to have that big numerical advantage. And I don't think Ohio state wanted to do that. I think Ohio state just wanted to spread them out and Ohio state just wanted to attack, 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 attack. And that's kind of playing into Penn state's hands. When you have this, turn into a game where Penn State's back seven is more important than its front four, I think Penn State's just going to look a whole heck of a lot better. But having said that, like, all things considered, again, 466 yards. Ohio State was five for 14 on third down, Matt. They ran for 4.7 yards per attempt. They put forth a performance on defense that I think we're going to like, it gives me confidence for the rest of the season. The one thing I want to ask your thoughts on is just like Pence. Like I think that Penn state's defense did everything it had to do to win this football game. I think allowing 26 points to Ohio state is allowing is every single thing at the end of the day that you can ask to do to beat the Buckeyes. Would you agree with that? Was there something or things you thought they could have done a little bit better? Do you think like when you just look at that team on the other side of the football, you know, you're giving them a standing ovation for that performance? Um, this is tough because there's always, you know, there's always, you always leave plays out there and you never know. But all things considered, I think this was maybe the best coaching job by Brent Pry and co we've seen. Uh, I think Penn State outcoached Ohio State in the game as a whole, offensively, defensively. Um, again, no moral victories, but I think if that fumble recovery for a touchdown does not happen, I think Penn State wins this game uh, by a touchdown. And again, that that didn't happen. Um, it's a bummer. But Penn State's defense did everything they were asked to do, and I would argue more, on the road in Columbus. So it's hard for me to really fault anything that they did or really circle it as the reason Penn State lost this game, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, I, I I think that makes sense. Like the one thing I'm the only thing like I'm like a little bit flummoxed about, uh, and it's not even a Penn State thing. It's just like that snap infraction by Ohio State. Like, did you see? Did oh you my see, god! Yeah. That was- did, I don't understand how that works. How can it be a snap infraction after the ball has been snapped? Because once the ball is snapped, that's a live football unless the play was blown dead early. Like, I don't know if you're a center, how you commit a snap infraction mid-snap. I, I, I've never seen that called before. I, I, I would really love the Big Ten to release something about it just so I understand it. Maybe I don't understand the rule, well, but I, I, I have no idea what constitutes a snap infraction when it happens in the process of snapping the football. Yeah. I mean, the way, the way I understand a snap infraction is basically like if the center pump fakes or like starts the snap and they realize that they weren't supposed to do that. So they like put the ball back down and I like, it just didn't seem like that to me. Uh, You know, I'm not going to say, well, they took points off the board or anything like, you know, they very, easily might have taken points off the board, but I don't like, I, that was weird. That was the one thing where I'm like, 
Listen, Ohio State's defense was able to come up with the big play, the one that kind of changed the game for them. Uh, there's a stat that I'm going to read uh, once we talk about Penn State's offense, but that was just the one thing I was like, ooh, I, I don't know about this. Uh, I do. There's The only thing I want to ask you about is let, let's talk about Ohio State's offense just for like two seconds. Um, I think this group is incredibly good. I think that their skill position guys are great. I think C.J. Stroud is very good. But I think Penn State, like we mentioned, Matt, I think Penn State's defense did just enough to make C.J. Stroud go, oh, wow, I'm in a big football game, aren't I? And you could just see, like, the gears in his head turning and it just taking a half second longer than it usually does. And I was really impressed by that, by Penn State's defense, because I thought – a big way that they were going to need to play to win this game was going to be make CJ Stroud look like a guy in his seventh start or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I will say, I think that we have seen the best of Ohio state's offense. And I think we saw it in 2019 and 2020. I don't think this unit under Ryan day is going to get better than it was those two years. And they have great skill talent right now. I think Olave is destined for the NFL. I think he has an extra year because of COVID, but he would be an idiot to take it. Yeah. I think no, just... if, if, if either him or Wilson come back, like someone's given them bad advice. Yeah. Like I, I think that, this is more than likely what the Ohio State offense is going to look like for the remainder of Ryan Day's tenure, whatever that looks like. That could be 25 years. It could be until the Bears fire Matt Nagy and he goes there. Um, with that being said, I think I like Penn State's odds to win a chess match against that version of that Ohio State offense more often than not. So, you know, credit where credit's due. They did a good job. Didn't turn it over a ton. Stroud did what he was supposed to do. Travion Henderson is a good back who is only going to get better. Um, but I, I just, it wasn't the kind of offense that I'm used to seeing in recent years from Ohio State. And I think that might be a reason why I'm not as impressed. Uh, and also why, yeah. you know, it, it just stinks that Penn State wasn't able to get the job done again. Yeah, I mean, the big, the, the big thing for me was there were a bunch of occasions where C.J. Stroud, I thought, could have picked up six, seven, eight yards with his feet and decided once he got to the line of scrimmage, he was just going to throw it. Um, and that was – like, I'm, I actually went and looked at his stats this season. Uh, last year, Justin Fields, 81 carries, 383 yards, five touchdowns. His career at Ohio State, 218, 867, four yards carry, 15 touchdowns. Stroud this year, eight, 17 carries, 18 yards, no scores. Like – it, it, it's just interesting to me. It's a thing I wanted to dog ear on this podcast in case it becomes a thing when we do this podcast in a year or two years, whatever. It seems like Ohio State just doesn't want that element of, of just like an option in their offense, which on one hand, like taking the ball out of Travion Henderson's hands or taking it out of potentially Jackson Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson, CJ Olave's hands. I get that, but it, it was just interesting. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, Having Olave and Wilson is like having Cooper Cup and Tyreek Hill, and I don't like that a team that is in Penn State does that. Uh, move to the other side of the football. Uh, Penn State's offense, whew, 394 yards, 27 first downs to 22 for Ohio State, 11 for 16 on third down. Lost the turn, you know, lost a pair of fumbles, uh, interception thrown by Sean Clifford, but otherwise Clifford 35-52. For 52, 361 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington, big boy games. Uh, 
Keandre Lambert Smith played well. Theo Johnson played well. Brenton Strange played, you know, had the one touchdown, had a drop that, uh, what looked like a drop that uh, had some Penn State fans a little bit frustrated. Uh, Matt, I generally think this offense, you know, a lot of it was good, a little bit of it was bad, and that little bit of bad was probably the difference in this football game. Yeah, no doubt. It was definitely the little bit of bad was so bad that it absolutely put a damper on an otherwise, I would argue, flawless game plan. I thought Yurcich did a great job with what Mm -hmm. he called in certain situations. Like, I think a lot of us were really concerned that Penn State would not be able to run the ball very well. And look, this is still a a pass-first team, excuse me. Uh, And that's fine. Like, I, I don't believe in balance for balance's sake. But when they did run the ball, I thought there were more holes and lanes there than we've seen in past weeks. And that's a major step forward. And again, to do it on the road against this team that you're eternally chasing, it feels like, is an exciting development. I thought Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert-Smith played phenomenal games. I think someone in our Slack mentioned this probably was Keandre Lambert-Smith's best game as a Nittany Lion, and I couldn't agree more. He has really evolved into a very, very, very strong option. Overall, I thought the offensive line played pretty well. I mean, there were some you know, pretty glaring errors, but again, against Larry Johnson and those dudes he has up front, you're going to make mistakes. You just have to limit it as much as you could. And I think Clifford held onto the ball too long on a few occasions, uh, especially the the fumble recovery for a touchdown. Uh, I, I still cannot believe how wide open Jahan Dotson was going to be, or probably already was. If he, if he wanted it, he probably could have taken it. Um, but overall, I, I, I can't find a whole lot to be upset about with this offense. Like, look, sometimes just it, it's a weird sport. Crazy things happen. But and again, no moral victories, but. The Penn State offense outcoached and outplayed the Ohio State defense. And I know that doesn't really mean as much now with this Ohio State defense look like all year, but I'm not really that upset. And also, look, healthy Clifford is really good. Like, he clearly wasn't healthy against Illinois. When he's healthy, this is the team we thought it was, the top 10 caliber team. Unfortunately, he got hurt. That's part of the game. So I like what this team has moving forward. I am very curious to see what his development continues to look like, but he looks like a NFL draft pick, late pick, naturally, uh, but he looks like a draft pick once again. That was a really good performance out of him, with the exception of, you know, some bad hanging onto the ball too long and a a, a duck of an interception, which I think was more miscommunication than anything else. So I can't find a whole lot to be mad at. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I thought they did a really good job of understanding that Ohio State's defense was going to have just big old gaps in the middle of the field in that space between their safeties and their linebackers in particular. And Penn State did a really good job of going, all right, cool, you're going to give that to us. Parker Washington knows how to find that space. Jahan Dotson knows how to find that space. Keandre Lambert-Smith has an idea of how to find that space. You know, he's not like, you know, he, he still has a little bit of a ways to go, I think, before he's like, a monster, but he's a number three receiver. And if your number three receiver gives you four catches for 49 yards, you're going to take that. Uh, but Penn State's passing game, did, again, had a really good understanding of Ohio State has a weakness. It has an inherent flaw in its defense. If it can't get to you with its front four, with you know bringing a blitzer or two, 
they're going to be windows to throw into. And one thing that we know about Sean Clifford, he's good at finding those windows when he is able to stand up and throw. Uh, I want to apologize to James Franklin because I thought there was no way that Sean Franklin was actually 100% or close to 100%. And I still think he probably wasn't totally 100%. Uh, I think if he was, he probably would have ran a little bit more and he wouldn't have needed to wear like tactical gear under his pat under his jersey or whatever the hell it was. Uh, but I thought he looked way better, way more comfortable. You know, he wasn't afraid, uh, you know, afraid probably isn't the right word, but like worried about what happened if he could get hit, which that did seem to be the case against Illinois. And I thought we saw a really good game out of Clifford. I, I, the running game was the big thing here, Matt. Um, I think Penn, you hit the nail on the head. I think saying you need balance just to say you have balance is like not something that you necessarily need. Uh, I think that's like a very old school football guy approach. Uh, but having said that, I I wouldn't have a problem if they just got rid of the running game more or less altogether and only used it in certain spots. I mean, take out Clifford uh, and you just go with the running backs. Noah Kane's longest game was 11 yards. Kayvon Lees was seven. John Lovitz was five. Uh, combined, that group ran for 42 yards on uh, 21 carries. I'm a, uh, yeah. What, what what did you think was up with Penn State's running game? Because to me, it literally just seems like the the offensive line is just not going to be able to run block with any sort of consistency at any point this season. I think it starts with I don't I don't think their interior is playing where they should play. And again, I, I'm not in I'm not on the coaching staff. Uh, I do not know what practice looks like, but Miranda's a guard. Scruggs is the center. Like I, I still don't understand why we're doing this. Um, I think. They that changed last week. I don't know if it's just they wanted to try it out and they didn't like the way it worked or they didn't feel comfortable, you know, doing it on the road in Columbus. But it looks like, look, if you're going to if you're going to establish a run game, you have to start by attacking inside. It's inside zone. It's halfback dives. It's stuff like that. You you work on the running game, in my opinion, from the inside out. And when you can't get the inside going, it's hard to develop anything in the entire in that entire facet of football. And that's a bummer that Penn State cannot do that because this is a crazy talented running back room. But I just don't think they have the guys in on the offensive line in the right spots to be successful with that. And I don't know. I'm curious what happens against Maryland if they give Scruggs more run at center. Like no matter what happens at some point. I, I, I'm not of this belief, but I, I know a lot of people in the sport are. Once you get to three losses, it's kind of more or less the season's over. Let's just try to get as many wins and try some things out. I think Scruggs is the center in 2022. I, I think everybody kind of sees that's where it was always building to. So I would not hate them trying it out against Maryland. And then hopefully we can kind of lock that in from there. And if things start to get going again, then we're in a much better spot. Like I, I like the confidence I think this group is starting to play with. I think Kayvon Lee is running the ball better than he has all season. And that's not saying much because it's been a, it's been a rough go and he's had the fumble issues, but it's still better than where it was in September. So 
I want to see what that looks like moving forward. If guys are moved around, if guys are shuffled, if more guys get more run and hopefully they can really start to establish things because I think next year, assuming they don't have, you know, sixth year Clifford, it's probably going to be either a true freshman or a redshirt freshman or a transfer starting. So you need a run game to take things off their plate. So I think now as we head into the final month of the season, it's time to start finding what's going to work moving forward and establishing the base for 2022 and beyond. I, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think what they, I think so much of their problem also in the running game is they don't really like, yes, the running back room is talented, but I do think they kind of lack the, you know, the Saquon, the Miles Sanders, the journey Brown, like that guy who, is just going to be a difference maker every time he, or a chance to be a difference maker every time he touches the football. Like I, not to take anything away from John Lovett, Noah Kane, or Kayvon Lee, I think they're all really good backs, and they're backs who have good things in their arsenals. It's just they don't have that one guy who's going to be able to go in and like you hand him the ball, and you know I don't want to say a trade on Henderson because Henderson is a, a, a super freak of nature, but like the kind of guy who you get him out there. And you know that he's going to just make stuff happen. There's so much variety in what you can do with him, that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, up front, they just don't seem to have a level of physicality and size and nastiness that I think I would like to see. I think James Franklin said this week that Salim Wormley was going to be the starting right guard uh, before he suffered a season-ending injury before the season even began. And if we remember, first snap against Wisconsin, Eric Wilson was not the starting left guard. They gave that starting gig to Anthony Wigan. Things didn't go particularly well for him. They put Wilson in, and that was that. So, like, I, there are personnel issues. There are just the fact that, like, I think the passing offense is inherently going to be farther ahead because you have a third-year starting quarterback and you have a bunch of dudes in your pass-catching uh, unit. So... You do that, you do – then if you, if you even want to go back farther, like Penn State had a new offensive line coach and a new offensive coordinator heading into 2020, neither of whom really got to do anything with their position group – with their groups because there was a pandemic. Coming into this year, the offensive line coach suddenly started working under a new offensive coordinator, and I don't know what thing or things are different. I'll leave that to a different football mind, but – it was a, it, it was something new for everybody. So I, I like it, it's just a little bit weird, a little bit different. And I think that it's not going to be some like thing that destroys Penn State's program forever or anything like that. I think it's something that can be fixed. I think they're talented dudes. I'd love, love, love to be able to ask um, ask Phil Troutwine, James Franklin, Mike Yursich, how has the uh, recruiting of offensive linemen changed with trout wine in compared to past offensive line coaches. And I'd love to get just that little bit of insight, but when you look at this game part in particular, I think Ohio state just has four and five stars entirely across this defensive front and Penn, the ones that Penn state have just aren't quite on their level. Like that happens. But if you want to spin it in a more positive way, I think we look at Penn state's passing attack and Oh my goodness, Matt, like Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert Smith, Penn State's going to be able to throw the ball on just about everyone as long as Sean Clifford has some amount of time. Yeah, no doubt. This pass catching 
pass catching group is ridiculous. Also interesting, I thought Winston Eubanks got a ton of run in the game. The walk on who I think played at Chippensburg last year. So that's very interesting to me. I don't know what that means for like depth pieces, but I thought that was very surprising that he was in there on. I I can't wait for Dan's snap counts this week because it's probably got to be the most he's played all season long. Um, so, you know, good for him. That's that's cool to see uh, from a walk on. But yeah, those those dudes know how to catch. Those dudes know how to find space. Parker Washington plays like he's like a seventh year senior man. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a true sophomore understand football the way he does. Like he's able to just constantly find space against guys a lot bigger and probably a lot faster than him. And, and that just speaks a lot to the job Taylor Stubblefield's done, a lot to the work Washington himself has done. So I don't know if he's ever going to be like the number one guy. He's 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 a slot guy through and through, but you know, he's a great option to have. And, and I'm very happy Penn State was able to get him and I'm happy he plays for he plays for our team. Uh, the tight ends are a different story. Um, they looked like they were on track for really a, a revolutionary season in terms of multiple tight ends at Penn State making an impact. Like we haven't seen three dudes like like um, Strange, Johnson, and Warren, probably since the the, the O'Brien days near a decade ago. And they've really just fallen off. It looks like they have the yips a lot of the time, and that that's a real bummer, and I hope that stuff get work, gets worked out. I think that's things that can be worked out. But I think if you give you know Clifford and Co. one tight end or, or two reliable tight ends like we had early, earlier in the season, I think this game probably looks a bit different. I, I don't know if it's a win. I think other things led to the loss, but... I think a couple drives maybe turn out different ways if the tight ends played like they were playing back in September. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, they were they're guys who I think have the potential to make major impacts, but like we got a reminder that you know they're both younger dudes. I mean, you know that that only goes so far because of how good Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith both were, but like. Brent Strange was a three-star guy who's done a lot of work to get himself into a position where he could be uh, a contributor on this team. Theo Johnson, true sophomore, still figuring things out. And we see, we always see the flashes out of him. It's now just a matter of putting it together consistently. Uh, I, I thought that they did when they decided, you know what, listen, we know we're not going to be able to run the ball. Let's just pass, pass, pass. We're, they got good stuff out of that. Uh, and, you know, I alluded to a stat by Bill Connolly earlier. Ohio State had seven drives that were classified as scoring opportunities. Uh, they got 3.7 points per opportunity. That comes out to 25.9 points. Penn State, five scoring opportunities, 4.8 points per opportunity, which comes out to 24 points. Penn State, outside of the one strip sack, damn near played Ohio State to a draw. And I think that says a lot about both sides of the football, but I think it especially says a lot about Penn State's offense because after last week, like, I just did not know if they had that in them. I wouldn't be surprised, Matt, if they have a big game next week against Maryland just because I think, you know, again, I think they're going to match up pretty well against Maryland. But, like, I like I was really impressed. I, I Outside of the turnovers, like, I think that, the fact that Ohio State gifted you the ball at the 46, a minute and 40 seconds into the game because they messed up on their first drive and you couldn't make them punt it, couldn't punish them for that, that's not great. Uh, the fact that you had the ball fourth and five, Ohio State's 43, 
uh, and Sean Clifford ended up getting sacked uh, in the first quarter when you were up seven to three. That's not great. Fumble touchdown obviously was not particularly good. That drive at the end of the half and then the field goal, that was pretty good. You have that pick by Clifford right as Ohio State was starting. You know, it felt like Ohio State had got the momentum, uh, but you score that touchdown, then force a turnover on downs. You could really, really put that pressure on. That wasn't great. I just felt like while Penn State's offense played really well, they didn't do a good enough job of taking advantage of the opportunities Ohio State gave them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And look, Clifford is what he is. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he is about as good as you could have asked for following Trace McSorley. Like you, you were going to have a drop off no matter what. And he put Penn State in a position to win. Penn State realistically should have won this game uh, again for the third straight week, which is which is a major bummer. Um, but you're right. The opportunities are there. And it just feels like this unit, for whatever reason, doesn't have that ability to go for the throat. Like when there is blood in the water, this unit has not been able to capitalize and put a game away. And that's been an issue for a long time. Like I think that maybe even predates Clifford and it probably goes back to Trace McSorley. Like they, they just cannot find a way to take advantage of the gifts they're given. And I don't know how you fix that. I don't know, you know, what coach or what part of the game plan that falls on, but that has to change. Like this game proved that the gap between these two programs is not that big. As long as James Franklin's the coach, like there's the whole argument this week. Everybody's been seeing it on Twitter about, you know, Penn state needs more money for facilities. And they do like if, if Penn state wants to compete with Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state, instead of like Michigan and Oregon, they need more money for more facilities. I get it. But the fact that Ohio State has like, what is it, like four assistants who get paid at least a million dollars and they still almost lost this game at home shows that Penn State is being led by the right guy. Like the window was we always thought the window like closed in 2017 and 2018. This is pretty much a whole new roster now at this point from those days. And it still feels like there's a window like it's still there. Like I think these programs are destined to do this dance forever where. I think eventually it's going to flip and probably Ohio State is going to chase Penn State one day. That's how this sport works. Like nobody's good forever. But the fact that there's so clearly still a window, even with the perceived talent difference between these two programs, shows that Penn State can get this job done. They just need the right pieces at the right time. And then I think Penn State can really make a run for their time atop the Big Ten. And hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. We we were gonna do that in a minute, Matt. Uh, oh, where, where are we? I'm sorry. I'm yeah, so, I it's, saw it's, okay, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's uh, okay. We'll we'll do game balls incredibly quickly, and then we'll move on to that. Uh, for me, game balls, Parker Washington, uh, and Penn State's linebackers as a whole. What do you think? Quick, give them out. Um, Cur- quick, Curtis Quack! Jacobs. Uh, Cur- Curtis, Curtis Jacobs and uh, and Parker and Keandre um, and Jordan Stout, uh, the punter, um, because he had one. Even his bad punt got a good roll, and I like punting. And he's the best transfer Penn State's ever gotten. Yeah. the end there, yeah, yes there we go uh so yeah let's talk about that let's talk about the gap between penn state and ohio state uh i think a big part of it is that i think james franklin does his does a very good job of getting penn state prepared to play ohio state whereas it feels to me like ryan day um you, 
I don't want to say he's scared. He's scared. I, he's scared. No, we we'll call it how it is. He's scared. He, he, and I would he's scared too. Like, think about all this pressure you have. If you're right, you've never lost a Big Ten game in your career. You're following a legend, like, you know, not an NFL legend, that's for sure. Uh, on Twitter, he is, but that's beyond the point. Like, you, it's got to be scary to play the team that gives you the most fits. I do not blame Ryan Day for being scared. And he was scared. He kicked cowardly field goals in this game. Like, he called this game not to lose. And I, and I think that is a very loser energy way to play football. Yeah, he gave a quote that said, uh, to me, if you finish off a lot of these drives in the end zone, it looks a lot different. And I was just like, dude, yeah, that's how it works. Welcome to uh, football. Getting seven points is better than getting three or even zero. So shout out to Ryan Day. That's the, uh, that's the kind of analysis you can only get from a savant like him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, please, please go to, please go to the bears. Yeah, that, that'd be tight. Uh, it, it, it was interesting because I thought this game was really fun to watch. Consider like now that we've had a little bit of time to digest it, considering all the stuff that we've been talking, we being, uh, the Penn state, uh, fan, uh, universe and even the broader college football universe. Cause I'd seen some people, uh, Josh Pate of, of the late kick podcast, uh, Ralph Russo of the Associated Press after the game and a few other people talking about this game in the context of that, or just the, the broader conversation about what is Penn state football? What can Penn state football accomplish? What is James Franklin doing right now? And all those sorts of things. And I think we saw a lot of examples of Penn State has exceptionally good football players, but they don't have those guys who push you over the top, those last little things that push you over the top. Like Ohio State's center, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, didn't have a particularly great game. But that was okay because he had other guys around him that were able to lift him up. Meanwhile, if Mike Miranda doesn't have a good game, that leads to almost like a domino effect where everyone on Penn State's offensive line has no idea what they are doing. If uh, Ohio State's linebackers aren't playing well, it becomes dependent on, like, it's almost fine because, like, you have other dudes all over the place who can pick up that slack. C.J. Stroud, C.J. Stroud, like we mentioned, for his standards – did not play a particularly stellar football game. He was very solid. And despite that, Ohio State was able to win because they were able to go to their five-star running back when their high four-star quarterback, you know, wasn't out there throwing darts all the time. Like, that, like the big one to me was he uh, had – I mean, it's the difference between C.J. Stroud and, like, Justin Fields. We saw there was that one play – Chris Olave is just standing in the end zone. He got right between, I think it was Tariq Castro Fields and Jair Brown and is just standing there on a fourth down play and Stroud throws it and short arms it and it bounces a yard in front of Olave. And like, that's the difference between having a program changer at quarterback or a program changer at really any position and a program change in a guy who's very, very good. And you think about Ohio State, you think about how they've recruited for years, you think about how they've invested in their football program for years, how their facilities are some of the best in the country, how the way that they are able to just do things are at a level matched only by Alabama, by Georgia, by Clemson, 
those sorts of teams. And you can see how they just have a dude at basically every position who is a little bit better than Penn State's dude, which isn't to say that Penn State's dudes are bad or anything. It's just that Ohio State's dudes are that level of guy. And I think, correct me if you agree, Matt, Correct. I, I, let me know if you disagree. We've seen enough out of Penn State over the years when they play Ohio State that the gap between them as football teams uh, – how those games are, how they call those games, how they prepare for those games, those sorts of things, isn't huge. Like, it, don't get me wrong. I think Ohio State is a better football team than Penn State. I'm not saying that, but I also don't think that Penn State is like hapless when they get out there against Ohio State. But the difference is, to quote Josh Pate, Ohio State has Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday resources. The resources that get that win you those recruiting battles, that get you those coaches, that get you everything you need. And Penn State just doesn't quite have that. And they're always going to need breaks to go their way if they are going to beat Ohio State. Yeah, Penn State needs the breaks. Ohio State doesn't. Um, that's just the way things work. Um, a big issue I'm having with like a lot of the stuff I'm reading this week is that I don't think a lot of people understand how far the program was set back by the paternal regime running the program like it was 1987 for 25 years. Like while everybody else was laying the groundwork for the arms base, even if we didn't know it was coming in the 90s, in the 2000s, Penn State was still existing like it was 1987 and like college football was going to exist in 1987 for the rest of existence. And that's not the case. So I think a lot of people see this kind of money that's been put into the program in recent years and say, well, why can't we catch Alabama? Why can't we catch Ohio State? Why aren't we on Georgia's level? And it's like it's because we missed out on close to two and a half decades on not being ready for this. Like there is so much Penn State has to get up to par. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure – what the program looks like in facilities in 2021 are like night and day from 2014 when he got here. But there is still just so much ground to make up before Penn State can really start being that regular presence. Like, I think it's that Penn State is probably the closest, everyone would agree, especially in the in the Penn State circle, that of any team that hasn't made the playoff, Penn State's been the closest. And I think we're all trying to find out the reason why. And you cannot point to anything in the past decade I mean, there's one big thing in the past decade. Uh, let's say the last you know, seven years of the Franklin dream for why Penn State can't get there. That's because you have to keep on digging back and you'll see that there is still stuff in the program and people around the program who are not ready to treat football the way it should be treated in the year 2021. And that's a bummer because I think if they had that kind of commitment, Penn State could probably make the playoff you know, once every three or four years. I think this is the kind of team with the kind of fan base and the kind of recruiting footprint and the coaches to get there. So, look, I understand the, the frustration and why people say, why would we spend more money, you know, when we already spend this much? And it's just like, you're not spending it to make up for 2021 time. You're spending it to make up for what we missed in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007. Like, I, I hope what I'm saying is making sense to you, Bill, because I'm kind of just rambling on some thoughts I've been thinking over the past week, seeing all these takes, but Penn State is close because of James Franklin and company. If they want to finish the job and close the gap, 
they need help from people outside of the football program within the university. Yeah, and like I, a, a general thing that I, 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 there are two things I fully believe, three things I fully believe. One, Sandy Barber has been pretty good about giving Frank, Franklin the stuff that he's asked for over the years. And like, I think that's a credit to her. And I think uh, just as things have come along, um, as, as things have come along, she doesn't have to do that. Eric Barron doesn't have to do that, those sorts of things. Uh, so like they deserve credit for that administration level and then at a james franklin level for uh you know saying here's what i want here's what i need uh the second thing i'll say is that i don't think james franklin is fighting for that stuff and trying to get that stuff uh in whatever current negotiation may or may not be going on like nope none of us know for sure blah 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 unless he thinks that penn state is capable of getting to that level uh i think that again the fact that you hear so many people who know how football works at that level outside of Penn State, who are able to look at Penn State and know from being at, from from seeing how things are at Ohio State, at Georgia, at Alabama, at LSU, at any other place that Penn State is capable of getting to that point is probably pretty telling. And it's, you know, my fingers are crossed that ends up remaining the case. And then three, uh, I say those things to say this. I think that when the rubber hits the road, Penn State's going to say, and James Franklin's going to say, you know what, let's just do this. Let's make that huge investment that we know you want, James. Let's give you every single thing that you need. And I think it's going to be a good thing because, again, you look at Ohio State and you look at there, there is a video of the facilities at Ohio State compared and it's not compared to Penn State. It just shows you Ohio State facilities. And like, I'm a 29-year-old man who lives in Columbus. And I'd love to just drive over there and hang out there. Because it looks like the sort of thing where every single Ohio State player at any moment in a day will get every single thing that they want. Whether it's food, whether it's being taken care of whether it's entertainment, whether it's an exercise, whatever it might be. So that's what Penn State's going up against. And I think we've, I think we saw that on the field that Ohio State just has those little bits. They're able to get the players who make those big changes in your program for one reason or another. Like they're going into Texas and Florida and California and getting kids. You're not doing that unless you are saying to them, Look at all the things that our football program can provide for you. Uh, and I think Penn State's getting to a point where it can do that. But th that's just something I wanted us to talk about a little bit before we uh, before we wrap up. Because that is like in the Penn State football conversation right now. I don't know what thing or things James Franklin wants, but I hope he is able to get them. Because I think we saw this weekend just how close this program can be on its good days. Uh, and... While Matt, that was Penn State's third loss in a row, like it's a thing we've mentioned a few times. Like, I don't feel terrible. Like, I feel I came out of this game feeling like I don't know if Penn State will finish with five, uh, uh four wins in a row to end its season, but I certainly feel like they are capable of doing that. I think they will. 
I feel really good. I I don't know why this team so, has so, already been. This team has been through the ringer more than once. Like this team has you know dealt with twenty twenty. Like they know how to get back up, dust themselves off, and play their best football. Um, and no disrespect to the remaining four opponents, I don't not sold on Michigan. Michigan State is the most frustrating program in the country to me. I I hate and love them more than anything in the world because I love teams that make everybody look stupid, uh, including myself. Um, I don't think I mean, I, I could eat my words here with a Maryland or Rutgers game. But, you know, I, I think this four and is on the table and I will take a nine and three um, with those Same. three losses being able to point back to look like I, I get that those games were lost. But like, come on, look at how they were lost. Yeah, I, I think I think our Penn State fans in general are and a lot of college fans in general are smart enough to understand context. Um, and again, loser energy. I understand what this sounds like. Um, but this Penn State team is better than nine and three. I think it's realistically more like a, a ten and two or eleven and one win team. Yeah, twenty two in uh, the Associated poll that was Associated Press poll that was dropped while we were doing this podcast. Twenty three in the coaches poll that came out just before. They'll, they'll it. be higher in the playoff poll. I think. I, I think those I, well, people are smart enough to understand what what I, what actually this team is. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. But yes, I I agree with that. Uh, the thing that I would say is that. I think Penn State's very much a styles make fights team. And I think they are a team that is built more on speed and athleticism and explosiveness and not brawn and like that bit of nastiness. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan and Michigan State give them problems because they're able to just push them around because they do more of the Illinois stuff than the Ohio State stuff. Uh, but having said that, I think Penn State has a chance in both of those games. If P.J. Musper was playing, I'd feel a lot better. Uh, but I do still think Penn State is going to have a chance in both of those games. And like you mentioned, I think when you look at the context of why Penn State lost the last three games, it's a little more palatable than, you know, if they just lost these three games at full strength. Uh, you mentioned it, Matt. We think Pe- You and I both think Penn State's going to be ranked a little higher in the playoff poll. I don't know if they will be ranked – 20th you know higher than 20th but i don't think it's crazy to think that penn state's going to be the highest ranked three loss team in the country uh, i think they'll be somewhere like 17th i think mean, i feel good about that i feel good about that 17 to 20 range so do, do you think that's because penn state is actually going to be in that like be viewed as in that wheelhouse or do you think this is just straight up a like you know we'll give them the benefit of the doubt uh We'll give them the benefit of the doubt and just they'll be in really good position if they win out to be able to make a New Year's Six Bowl. A bit of both. Um, again, I don't really care about the New Year's Six Bowl game at this point. Um, like, let's just have a fun season. Uh, I'm not, you know, I've said this many times, you know this, Bill. I'm not the kind of person who thinks the point of college football was to win national titles. Um, you know, call that loser energy, but you can't sit here and say, yeah, like, it's totally fair that Alabama and Ball State are playing for the same trophy. Like, the point is to have good seasons and, and, Nine and three off four and five is a good season. It's not what I was hoping for, but, you know, there's a lot to be excited about with the program. Um, And as for, you know, what the playoff committee's thinking, I'm never going to um, accuse the committee of being too consistent, but they have said, like, look, we take take injuries into account. Like, I mean, let's call it how it is. Like, if they're going to say they're going to take injuries into account, I think they have done that, like, all that consistently, I don't know. But I think they've definitely, you know, they've backed that up with their actions over the years on... Not every occasion, but on some occasions. So all I can do is just give the benefit of the doubt. I really don't care about rankings. Like, I, I, I think they're just talking points. And I think that's what's fun about them, that people get mad about them when it's just, like, things for us to blog about. Um, 
But I don't know. I think this I think the playoff committee watches enough football um, and understand. I, I think having different people in the room who understand why Penn State is, is where it is is going to be important. And I think it's it's very realistic to see Penn State in like the 17, 18, 19 range. Yeah, I mean, once you once you start getting down to it and you look at, you know, we'll look at the AP poll, we'll go from 15th down. It's 6 and 2 Ole Miss, 8 and 0 UTSA, 7 and 2 BYU, 6 and 2 Kentucky, 6 and 2 Iowa, 7 and 1 Houston, 7 and 1 Coastal Carolina, Penn State, 7 and 1 SMU, 7 and 1 Louisiana, 7 and 2 Fresno State. Penn State is the highest ranked three loss team in the country at full strength. Like I think Penn State's better than every single one of those teams. I think they're two they're two touchdowns better than every single one of those teams, at least. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. So like I, I it, it, it is gonna be interesting. Uh what, what we'll end here by doing the exact thing that I know you hate doing. I'm going to make you rank the one through four in the first playoff rankings the way that you think it should happen, and then I'm going to have you rank one through four the way I, that you think it will happen. Okay. Um, do you want to go first or am I going first? Uh, what do I do here? I'll go. I'll go. Okay. Um, Georgia, number one. Georgia, um, it'd be really funny if Georgia runs the gauntlet this season and then just like loses to somebody in the playoff. Like this is the this is the best Georgia team I've ever seen. Georgia won. Uh, this is what I'm going to put it as both what I think it's going to be uh, or what I think it should be and what I think it will be. Georgia won. I'm going to say they're going to have Oklahoma, too. I think it's really hard to be undefeated even when you've switched quarterbacks, and Oklahoma has more wins than I think anybody in the country with nine of them. So I think they're going to be two. Three, I want to say I think they're going to put Cincinnati there. Honest to God, I think they're going to try to build that cushion. Um, And I think four would be just such blatant disrespect. I think they're going to have them third. The fourth team... I could see a lot of different options. The Oregon game, I think the Oregon is interesting here because there were injuries and Jomo was out for their lone loss. Alabama's Alabama, but that's a really bad loss. Michigan State, I think everybody kind of thinks is fraudulent. Um, If I had to guess right now, I'm just going to say Alabama just because the committee seems to like Alabama. So I'm going to go with Georgia, um, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Alabama is what I think it's going to be. Yeah, what what I – think it is going to be. I think it's going to be Georgia number one. I think it's going to be Oklahoma number two. And then I wouldn't be surprised if they put Alabama and Ohio State in there to round it out. I like this is just like my cynicism about how the committee does its business, but like Heather Dinich of ESPN I think had the tweet this week where it says like it's about picking the four best teams. Not or the teams with the four best resumes or whatever, not like the four teams that win the most, blah, blah, blah. Like very obviously just a if lot that, of If that was true, if that was true, who would have gotten in in 2016? Yep. And it, it's very obviously just a lot of like, you know, we don't think Cincinnati is going to be capable of doing enough unless everyone else does stuff around them. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, or Ohio State, or Alabama. But for me, if I'm looking at it, I think you just need to – say if you are winning your football games that is all you can do and make it georgia oklahoma uh cincinnati and michigan state like i, I think at a certain point that just has to matter matt and it, it just seems like it I doesn't will, anymore i will be so mad if michigan state makes the playoff again i will be Bill, i don't I will think be they will fu- i know i don't either but if they do i will be fuming i'll be fuming mad <laughs> listen uh there I know there's been uh, a lot of talk about like James Franklin to LSU or whatever. 
I'm not even saying this as someone who wants James Franklin to stick around at Penn State. Like, I have no idea, no idea why LSU would not give Mel Tucker whatever he wants. Oh, they're going to. Mel Tucker's need, for sure yeah. going to take that job. I, I would be I would be shocked if he was at Michigan State next year. I'd be stunned. The the only way I think he's at Michigan State next year is if LSU doesn't go. All right, we're going all in on you. But like, that guy had a bad year, and after that bad year was able to get a ton of money dedicated, like invested into Michigan state football. He handled the, like, this is the thing. He handled the transfer portal portal masterfully. Like Michigan state has a roster with something like 20 guys who were in the transfer portal last year. And if you're a school like LSU that wants to compete right away, why would you not want that guy? Why would you not want the guy who is that good at evaluating talent looking at who is out there to fit his scheme and going out and getting them. And like, it's not a shortcut. It is just taking advantage of one of the ways that you can be good in college football. I like, it it, it just seems to me like that's the guy that you need to go for. If you are LSU. Again, I'm not just saying that because I want James Franklin to stick around at Penn state. Yeah, I don't disagree. Also, I think um, him being, I know he's from Ohio, I believe, um, but him like having that, Experience coaching. Yeah, coach there. Yeah, exactly. That That's priority number one. I think that experience in that conference means the world, uh, especially for a team like LSU, which uh, I'm sure does not want to rebuild and just wants to instead be right back where they were two years ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Any uh, any final things to say, Matt, before we end this one? I'm uh, hoping for a nice blowout win over Maryland um, because that is probably the game I am most angry at from last season. Um, and I'm excited to watch um, this team kind of play with their hair down now. Like now you're just playing, you're playing with house money. Like, let's just go have some fun, call some cool plays, get some guys good experience. And, and I know there's, I think 22 seniors on the roster. Let's send them out on a high note and, and have a really fun end of the year. Yeah. Help some draft stock. Like you know, just, uh, do that kind of stuff. Thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcasts. Uh, if you're using Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. Please keep reading supporting the site. Best way to do that is to make sure you are buying some t-shirts. We had someone buy a t-shirt during the game last night, so uh, shout out to them. More people should do that. That's uh, very cool of them. Uh, make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever else is out there. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Ryan Day, if you go to the Bears, you can coach Justin Fields again, and he will make that four-yard throw.